0: I think that the big takeaway is like, you know, if people are in that situation, right. And they've come up with a plan A and a plan B and they got to get 30 minutes in or whatever they're trying to accomplish for a run. If it's consistently not happening, then it's like, Hey, that's okay. It's just feedback that you have to switch things up. You have to change your plan because it's not working. And I think that's a powerful piece too, because being able to kind of break away and, and you know, Almost from a 30,000 foot view, just look down on it and be like, this is not working, so I need to change it.
1: If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. Hi, and welcome to episode 30 of Runner Clicks, the Passionate Runner podcast. I am your host, Whitney Hines. I am a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and founder of themotherrunners.com, a resource for moms who run. And today's interview is with Ben Rial of Condition One Fitness and Nutrition on how to make running a habit and how to make running and all the things that support running a habit like good eating, good sleeping, rest days, strength training. It's I think you'll find this conversation very, very fruitful. I know I did. Ben is the founder of the personal training group Condition One Fitness and Nutrition. He's a marathon runner, a licensed attorney, and former Marine officer who has led more than 6,000 one-on-one training sessions and 600 small group classes. He is an expert in thoroughly evaluating someone to determine their quote-unquote movement baseline, incorporating individualized corrective strategies into specific training programs as needed, We are talking about working from people's physical and mental baseline, which obviously includes making exercise a habit and looking at all the potential life obstacles that might get in the way and figuring out how to work around them. We're going to get to my conversation with Ben in just a moment after this short message from our sponsor, RunnerClick.
0: If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated... And remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling but also fuels you with passion and purpose then you are in the right place runner click presents the passionate runner with your host whitney hines
1: hey ben it's great to see you
0: Hey, great to see you, Whitney. How's it going?
1: It's going good. It's um, We're not too far from one another. I'm up in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it's like a rainy, dreary day. It's the changeover day from like 80s, and now I think next week it's supposed to snow or something.
0: Yeah, I think we're getting the same here. Start started raining early this morning, so we'll get through the Friday. But yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, I'm very excited to talk about um, forming habits, like replacing habits, um, thinking about how to like some things like running every day are you know looked upon as good habits but maybe realizing that taking a rest day would be a good habit too for some people cuz like as we know runners can get extreme but before we get to that i would love to know your uh, history because you have you come from a very diverse like career background i mean you're a personal trainer but also an attorney i mean how did this all come about
0: yeah. So it's been like kind of a crazy, I don't know, 10 years or so. I actually, after college, I went into hospitality management and worked for Hyatt Hotels for a while and then ended up going to, then went totally out a different direction, went to law school after that.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> you don't really think of lawyers so, as being so like very like, hospitable.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. It's not, it doesn't go with the job, right? But it, it was... Funny, because a lot of stuff in hospitality, in a lot of ways, it it translates to just working with people on a daily basis. But I went to law school and was there for, that was 2008 to 2011. I went to law school down in Miami, Florida. So after that, I came back to Georgia, where I was born and raised, and took the Georgia bar instead of staying down in Florida. Kind of during that whole time in law school, I'd been applying to OCS with the Marine Corps. And... was not ultimately selected for OCS until after I passed the bar. So I didn't go in as a JAG, but uh, just the way that the programs are are set up, being in graduate school and having, you know, obligations during the summer and, you know, additional years of school, they said, you you just, you have to get, you got to get through law school. And then, you know, I ultimately uh, passed, right after I passed the bar was when I got selected for that. So it was very, it was dynamic because, Like, I've been doing all of this law stuff, like, just studying. Like, I've been ingrained for three and a half years, right, ingrained in law. And then as soon as I essentially became licensed, I went on inactive status with the state bar and pursued my commission in the Marine Corps. So left, I don't know, maybe five months after, this was in 2013, so like five months after I Got notification from the state bar. Hey, you're good to go. Oh my goodness. Shortly thereafter, yeah, I got selected and then went to Quantico in February, 2013. I had f- spent four years in the Marine Corps. At the time, I went into the reserves. So the I think that was when the, I can't remember what it was called, right? But it was budget issues with DOD. So they weren't taking any active duty officers. The only thing that was available was reserve contracts. So I did that. And then just volunteered for a bunch of stuff and was able to stay on active duty for a while. And then ultimately came back to Atlanta in 2015, towards the end of 2015, and finished out the remainder of my obligation in the reserves. And uh, kind of during that whole time period, obviously physical fitness was in the background in a large part while I was in law school because I was preparing for this and continually doing physical fitness tests and things like that. But when I was in the Marine Corps, it was just a daily thing that we did. So... That was something I became very comfortable with. And then also in a leadership role, whether it was, you know, organizing training plans or mentoring Marines, I think both of those aspects carried over directly into what I'm doing now and really were the catalyst for that happening, you know? So when I got back to Atlanta, it was kind of like, well, what do I do now? Like, I don't want to practice (laughs) law. I knew that I was going to pursue something Fitness related, and wanted a an, an aspect of leadership and mentorship because I was drawn to that. I didn't know exactly what that looked like, and but kind of meandered my way into the the fitness space first. Actually, starting with thorns Theory Fitness and working at a couple of their studios in Atlanta, but not on the coaching side, really more on the sales side and the management side. And but it was a great intro into the business and just the fitness industry as a whole and how some things work. And ultimately left Orange Theory and pursued, you know, opportunities to begin personal training and really s- small group fitness training to continue that kind of evolution of really personalized one-on-one, you know, coaching. So it's kind of bounced around everywhere, but yeah, it's <laughs> been, uh, it's been great because it's been so many different experiences and all of them have molded, you know, ultimately to starting the company that I have now. Oh,
1: uh, yeah. You, like you could have gone through ago. so many, down so many different paths, like, you know, <laughs> Right? 10, 15 years that's... ago, it's like, is he working in a hotel? Is he in Quantico? Is he overseas? Is he in a courthouse somewhere? Is he yeah. at the gym? Well, it, funny enough, Like my dad was, served in the Marine Corps. Every year, he trained for the Marine Corps Marathon, and that's how I got into running, is I would like oh, run cool. the last couple miles with him when I was growing up. And I was too young to know, I guess. I don't know. I can't imagine my kids doing this with me. But, like, I thought it was fun to get up early and go run in the cold and the dark with my dad. I didn't know any better. And, like, when I was in high school, he would drive next to me in his Jeep and, like, chant Marine Corps (laughs) cadences at me, you know. I used to drive a Cadillac. Now I'm running with, like, It's so embarrassing, but whatever <laughs> it worked.
0: It, it worked, Right. You're an avid runner now, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. Cause I remember when I was in law school, my, it was my first semester, there was a career fair and you know, so they had like a lot of, they had obviously a lot of law firms and stuff there, but they also had different government agencies and the military was there. So I spoke with the Marine Corps and was totally enamored, right? Like you're kind of sucked in and they know they have you. And then I started going out and doing PT with them in the morning before class. And it was the same thing. I mean, it was like, we were, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just there to get in shape and learn a little bit about what we hoped to do, but running around chanting stuff and falling behind (laughs) other people's cars and stuff. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, There's a theme.
1: There's a, there's theme, a theme, for sure. Yeah. So it's interesting. I just started reading Steve Magnus' new book, which is called Do Hard Things. And in the very beginning, he's talking about like what toughness is and that lots of people think, you know, that like the military, like people think of the military form of toughness. Like you just you kind of sink or swim, like you just throw people like... You know, the Navy SEALs, they just throw them into buds and see how they do. But in reality, that is the opposite of what the military does. Like, they give you all the skills so that you are able to excel in these, like, do or die type situations. And so, like, I don't know. I guess I just, when we start talking about habit forming, like, you're not going to beat yourself into submission to start these habits. Like, you need to, like... I don't know. You need to tow the soil so that, you know, it's ready to receive like the nutrients and start growing, build that foundation so that you like have the buy in and you want to make these habits a part of your life. And so I guess like when you think about the military, you know, in planting these like lifelong habits on people, it's not because it was necessarily like forced upon you it was, you know, somehow it was like woven into the fabric of like what you want to eventually do and accomplish.
0: Yeah. That's a great analogy too, because it is so foundational. And I think, you know, I think it gets to the confusing or the, one of the challenging aspects of habit formation, right. Is we see tons of stuff about the military and about, you know, arduous training and physical challenges and things like that. And I think that it, there's a time and place for that you know of course but when you're talking about making you know sustainable changes you know that you can hang on to that last it's like it shouldn't be painful you know and like that's not necessarily the formula things are going to be challenging for sure but they have to be doable and i think a lot of people think well i have to set this really high goal or make this first initial habit right as challenging as possible because of something they've seen on YouTube or you know something their friend told them or something like that. And it's really like, well, then it, if you can't do that, then it becomes counterproductive because you're no longer building any positive momentum toward that goal. So to come back to your analogy, right, you're starting really small with something that you can do and you're just planting the seeds. And then over time, right, you're adding to that and the habits eventually you know, become more robust but also accumulate. So you're adding to things over time. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges is that starting small and not biting off too much, you know, at the beginning.
1: I completely agree. I mean, I have a lot of athletes who come to me and they're really anxious to be able to run you know, a 5k without stopping or X amount of mileage, or a lot of them become very fixated on what their easy pace is, or they want to start doing speed work. And it's like, we got to meet you where you're at. And if you are going to go from like zero to 60 right away, it's not going to be sustainable. I mean, let's take out the the fact that you'll probably end up getting injured, but you will burn out or, I mean, yeah, it's just... Yes, like the, it sounds kind of cliche, like breaking it into little steps or into bite sized chews, but like that is such a good point because that is really the way that you make it happen. You're not going to be like, okay, well, I'm going to start running five mornings a week before work. You know, let's maybe start with like one and see how it goes.
0: Yeah, totally. I, there's so many things we could talk about on this vein because. It's like with what you're talking about with not going 100 miles an hour, not running you know five days a week. I would love to know what your experience has been because mine has been you know it is challenging to not only encourage but to get buy-in from people on just build your aerobic engine out. Just go really slow. Just build you know build volume and don't even you know if somebody's brand new to it and don't get hung up on like paces and really high intensity like anaerobic efforts because it does, it falls apart over time. And if you're not ready for that, then when you do it a lot, you're eventually gonna run into some kind of problem, you know, whether it's joint problems or problems, you know, I've had stress fractures and shin splints and plantar fasciitis. And a lot of these things I've had because I have previously done the things that you're talking about, just kind of jump into it. And if you don't know what you're doing necessarily, you're just like, I think it's just supposed to be hard, right? Like that's what I'm supposed to do. It's like, well, what's the, like, not really. If you're trying <laughs> you to become be a better runner it. or, yeah, you should be enjoying it. It shouldn't be painful every time. And also your body can't handle being painful every time.
1: No, and right? it is like the akin to building a house. I mean, if you start doing speed yeah. work before your body's right, I mean, that's like trying to put the roof on before you know, you have like the frame of the house up, like you have to build yeah. those different systems in your body. And so I just explained to them. And it, for me, personally, this helps too. like, you just need to show up every day and put the work in it doesn't matter if it's perfect. It doesn't matter if it's pretty, your body will grow your capillary density, it will, you know, increase your mitochondria, it'll strengthen your bones, your muscles, etc. You just have to show up on the day that you're supposed to run and do the best you can. On that given day, a problem that a lot of my athletes who are mother runners run into is that they're being pulled into a bunch of different directions. And a lot of things are out of their control or they feel like it's out of their control. They're working, their kids got sick. They have a bunch of activities after school. And, you know, that's difficult. That's really hard. But it's also like you need to come up with a plan A. You need to come up with a plan B, some things are completely unavoidable but if it's important to you you need to state that it's important to you and then you need to come up with a couple of options throughout the day to make it happen because i do believe in like you know inertia or momentum like once that momentum breaks it does become more difficult to get back on pace
0: yeah I totally agree. And I think that the big takeaway is like, you know, if people are in that situation, right. And they've come up with a plan A and a plan B and they got to get 30 minutes in or whatever they're trying to accomplish for a run. If it's consistently not happening, then it's like, Hey, that's okay. It's just feedback that you have to switch things up. You have to change your plan cause it's not working. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a powerful piece too, because being able to kind of break away and, and you know, almost from a 30,000 foot view, just look down on it and be like, this is not working. So I need to change it. Well, then you just shift to something else and maybe you're tweaking, you know, mileage or time or a right. time of day that yeah. you're working yeah. yeah, a time of day. You've got to explore those other options to make it work. And I think a lot of times people will just think, well, I'll just try harder next week and it can become really self-defeating, you know, cause people get really frustrated. Like, why can't I do this? It's okay. Just change the plan. To something that you can do.
1: How do you figure out, like, how are you, how can you be introspective and figure out if it's really obstacles, life obstacles, or you're just making excuses because you don't, you in the end don't want to do it because it feels hard and you're dreading it.
0: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think a lot of it comes down to like when you're starting the process of whatever you're training for, of really spending extra time in that like assessment phase and, you know, whether it's a self-assessment or you're working with, you know, somebody's working with a coach, like understanding what you're, what specifically you want to pursue and why specifically you want to pursue it. And then looking at, you know, all of the other elements of your, you know, of your life and how those are going to impact your ability you know, to follow through because that helps you then identify potential problems early on, right? Like if you want to do something physically demanding or you want to train up to do something physically demanding, but your nutrition and your sleep and, you know, your relationship at home is really struggling like that. Just that puts those out there. And so that they're kind of, you're on notice of them, you know, at the start and so coming back to like excuses or not. You know, if it's something that's consistently happening, that's kind of related to something that you've identified early on, then it's, you know, it's probably, it's not like you're coming up with something just random off the top. It's probably a legitimate obstacle that just needs to maybe be, you know, reconfigured in order to let you, you know, get back to training or whatever you're doing. But I think the interesting thing is like the only the person really knows, Mm -hmm. you know, if they're making excuses or if it's something that that legitimately they aren't able to do.
1: I think if like, yeah, like if you're filled with dread when you're thinking about it and then you find yourself being relieved when like a somewhat viable excuse comes up that for why you can't go running, then that's probably your answer right there.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think at the end of the day, I think you mentioned this earlier, but like if it is a priority to you, You're going to find a way to get it done in some way shape or form and you might not get all of it done right but you'll make the effort to at least whether if we're talking about running right to at least get a little bit in and if it's consistently not happening then it's either not a priority or you've set the bar too high Mm -hmm. like that's another huge possibility and then it kind of has to come down to like another self-assessment of like is Am I, did I pick the right goal or did I, do I need to downsize? Was I influenced by a video or something that I saw somebody else doing that I thought I needed to do, you know?
1: So when you meet with a client, your, like your intake process, as you look at the goal, you look at the potential obstacles and you focus, you really like fine tune what the why is.
0: Yeah. So the, the why is a huge, huge aspect to that. So, uh, you know, like you said, what is the goal? And then kind of go through a process of really digging into, you know, why do you want to run? You know, cause I want to complete a race. Well, why do you want to complete a race? You know, so on and so forth. Like get, getting a little bit deeper than just the surface level kind of goals that we all just kind of can create because when you get deeper into the real reason why somebody's doing it as a coach, it's more powerful, right? For me, because then I can help, you know, facilitate more compliance or, or understand like certain things that are going to maybe give a a little extra inspiration right to the person when they need it. But then we're also looking at, like I said, sleep nutrition and nothing complex necessarily, but just like, what does your sleep look like? What does your wind down routine look like at night? Do you eat in front of the TV? You know, are you, what does your food generally look like? I want to learn about work and relationships and, you know, hobbies and a number of other like physical things like, you know, previous injuries or anything like that, but You know but the whole process just for for that conversation is probably like an hour it's a pretty detailed conversation and the whole point of it is one i want to know as much as possible about the person i'm working with but also it helps me like understand if the goals that were discussed you know kind of at the beginning of the conversation if those are realistic goals for this person with everything else that's on their plate or everything else that they're doing on a day-to-day. And not that I'm then going to say, well, this is not doable, (laughs) but I can be more realistic with the person in trying to explore potential obstacles before they present themselves, you know, and also can have an idea of things that are going to be challenging and other areas that might need to be really uh, worked on outside of just the fitness side, like to facilitate...
1: Do you ever help them kind of shape their why or their reasons? Because I know research shows that like extrinsic motivation, like, oh, well, I want my family to think that, you know, I did a good job running race or I want to look good in bathing suit season or whatever. doesn't really hold a lot of weight like when the chips are down and it's more of the, well, I want to be healthy for my family or I want to be be the best I can be or I want to be proud of myself. Like those are gonna be more convincing when you're really hurting at the end of a race, or you know when that alarm goes off and your bed is nice and warm and it's dark and cold outside.
0: Yeah, no, those are those are great points. It has to, I mean, it doesn't have to be, but ideally, you're spot on. It's the more intrinsic the goal is and that it's tied to someone's deeper values or priorities, then you know the more alignment there is the difficult things happen like that and I think you know starting out with that question of why do you want to do x y and z you might get an initial response that's more extrinsic you know and it might through some just additional questions you can start to get a better sense for the deeper reason why but I think in that same vein like reward you know kind of reward based Systems right where you're doing something just to if you're doing something just to get a grade or you're doing something just to you know Finish a rate like just to get an award like That's great, but then what you know is there are you doing that because somebody else? Got the same thing and you want to be at the finish line or do you actually want to? Like what? what is the end state? What's the purpose of doing it? You know, So a lot of times I'll tell, like, we'll kind of break things down in in terms of outcome-based or or behavior-based goals. Hmm. And so, you know, if you're thinking of, if your outcome is to run the New York City Marathon, like, that's great. That's cool. Uh, We can delve into why you want to do that. And I want to know that. But then we also want to take into account the the behavior-based goals that are going to be required to ultimately get you to your outcome. And that's kind of bringing it full you know, full circle to where the other pieces of the puzzle come in, right? Uh, Because if we're saying, you know, the behavior-based goals are, you're going to have to eat quality nutrition. You're going to have to train so many days a week. uh, You're going to have to do all of these different things. If we could take a habit-based approach through the behavior goals. So let's say we have three behavior goals that are needed to get to the outcome of the New York city marathon. Then we break those behavior goals down into like small habits. That are required to create the behavior and so if you're thinking about that in terms of just a training block and building those small habits you know one at a time in my opinion i think it it makes it a lot less tedious just to have this the the giant Mm -hmm. outcome goal kind of you know hanging out in front of you
1: so those are the behavior goals are kind of the same thing as like process goals
0: yes yeah absolutely okay it's process based So I'm going to move more often. I'm going to focus on movement quality. I'm going to focus on nutrition, quality, nutrition, consistency. You know, I want to get better quality sleep. I want to get more sleep, right? You can think of those as kind of the process goals or behavior goals. And then you're breaking those down into smaller pieces, which ultimately turn into the habits. If that makes
1: sense. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, so I was injured for two and a half years and this is my first training cycle back. I'm running CIM in a few weeks and I've done a lot of things differently. And um, I've had, like, I have found that having process goals that are just very like vague, like two heavy lifts a week, if you can. And you know, focusing as much as I can on sleeping well and making sure I'm eating like real meals when I come in from my like hard workouts like that, instead of just grabbing a bar and then going straight into mom mode, like that kind of stuff. That's very like vague, but tangible. Just kind of like boxes to check has really helped me stay on track instead of like getting too specific like well you have to lift for a full hour after your track tuesday workout and you know like that kind of stuff like will box me in and make me feel like i'm failing but if i just okay if you can get go down in the basement and do some heavy squats twice a week like good job whitney you know like
0: yeah (laughs) no that's awesome and i think it highlights too the difference between you know everybody's different right so breaking the the process goals into chunks, like that works perfect for you. For some people, maybe it's too vague, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe they need more structure or detail uh, and that's okay too. And I think that's highlights the awesome and really important like takeaway piece, all this is that it's different for everybody, right? And and in order to figure out what works and what doesn't work, you have to try new things Mm -hmm. and you have to be willing to kind of like we were talking about earlier, just take a step back if it's not working and realize this, it's, you're not failing. It's not that you're like, it just has to be re-engineered to make it you know, easier or manageable enough to do that.
1: Yeah, that's an excellent point. Because I tend to, with running, become like kind of perfectionist. I think a lot of people, yeah. a lot of runners are that way. Like they get OCD about, the, yeah, they get OCD about the <laughs> schedule. Taking rest days can be very hard. So like for me, like making the little stuff not super specific so I don't get crazy about it helps me. But then other things that, Like I have to make sure that I have a rest day scheduled every week. Otherwise I will not rest. And so like making sure that I have the schedule and I stick to that is helpful for me, but like for other people that may completely not work for them.
0: Yeah. And I think you hit on something because you said, you know, I know that I need to schedule a rest day, otherwise I'm not going to do it. And that's highlights your self-awareness, you -hmm. know? And so I think for some people, if they don't have that self-awareness necessarily, that's maybe something that has to be built, you know, a little bit. And I think it's almost counterintuitive, right? From the stuff you're talking about earlier with buds and some of the military stuff like this, in order for the self-awareness to be effective, you have to be able to critique yourself and without beating yourself up or having all this negative self-talk in your head. You have to be able to critique yourself and say like, okay, there, we need something else instead of, I need to make it harder. And I think that's a difficult, it's not a mentality that's necessarily mainstream, right? Because everybody's focused, we're focused on like the really hard stuff in terms of YouTube videos or Mm -hmm. a lot of the content that you see out there. And so I think this being self-aware and critiquing it's just counterintuitive and in some instances, especially in, like, an athletic performance-minded person. They think, you know, they want to just push. They just want to push harder maybe instead of assessing and being like, I need to back off just a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think holding the, like, the main outcome or the, like, the ultimate goal out in front and then thinking about how this decision is going to impact that Is helpful and I realized like a lot of my mistakes were rooted in insecurity like I thought well if I missed a training day because I felt tired well then that's gonna you know take away from my goal marathon time and really that was so short-sighted and it was just based on like a lack of confidence in my ability I think a lot of runners are like that. Like, they're just afraid they're going to lose momentum. They're afraid that, you know, maybe that extra 10 miles could be what puts them over the edge. And, like, really, when you think about that, it's a little nuts.
0: (laughs) It is, and we all fall into that trap, right? I mean, anybody that's been running for any length of time can think of, I'm sure, multiple, because I can, (laughs) multiple instances where you added just a little bit too much, or you maybe went a little faster on your tempo run because you were feeling good when than you needed to. And then something happens, right? At a certain point in the future. And you're like, oh, crap. You know? Uh, Yeah, that's a a good point. These are
1: all hard lessons that I think like almost every runner has had to learn. So what's your take on rewards? Like, oh, I had a whole month and I ran three times every week. I'm going to reward myself with a massage or a dinner out. I mean, is that effective or not?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, I think it definitely can be. And I think there has to be, I I think the rewards can be the most effective when you have intention behind them and some specificity, right? Like instead of just rewarding for everything <laughs> like, yeah. or, you know, every time I go for a run, I'm going to reward myself somehow. But it can be something, you know, if you're doing something difficult, that can be something to look forward to. It's not going to probably get you to the finish line necessarily, (laughs) you know, but if any for anything, right, could be it's ups and downs and you've got good days and bad days. So I think anything to give you a positive, you know, a positive boost or just a little bit of decompression and then you go on and set off about the next piece. I think sometimes where rewards get a little bit difficult is if it's maybe food related. Yeah. And just because it's, you know, it's, uh, well, it I don't goes like, like using, yeah, yeah, it goes, I don't like using food necessarily <laughs> as a, like if it's, if you love ice cream, like then okay, <laughs> eat ice cream, you know, like, <laughs> but when you save it up for a reward, it turns into like a gallon, it seems like, you know, right? Yeah. it just. So I think things like that. If somebody's actively trying to stop doing something or improve an aspect of their diet, probably they don't want to use that as the reward because that's going back and forth. But yeah, to treat yourself to do something like that.
1: If it's something that probably like helps your running, like a massage, or I'm going like yeah. to treat myself to some Lululemon. Even better on those, yeah. It's, yeah.
0: That's so that yeah. even better with that, like a new pair of tights or a new mm-hmm. pair, like that type of stuff. That's yeah. I do like that, and that can also kind of get you out of the rut, too, sometimes. If yes. you're really kind of just fried, it's like, I'll get a new pair of running shoes that'll get me excited, Yeah, you know, or, or whatever.
1: What about, like, gaming your brain-type tricks? Like, I know for me, especially in a racing scenario, but this can be just... If the alarm's going off and you're really like doing that internal battle of like, oh, well, I could just sleep a little and then maybe I'll try to go later. Like I like to think of my future self and like, okay well, actually, Whitney, you would feel so much better if you got up and got your run out of the way because then you don't have that run anxiety hanging over you all day. Like wondering, okay when will I get my window to go that doesn't impact other people or like when I'm in a race and I don't want to push harder because I'm already super uncomfortable and I think about like. But what is Whitney at the finish line going to like, is she going to be proud of herself or is she going to be disappointed because she didn't try to find the next gear?
0: That's awesome. Like for, I think you're super introspective about it, which is probably even more powerful. I think at the most basic form, right, it's just, you have to do something like in order to, if you're struggling, whether it's to get out of bed or to get out the door for the run or whatever, just you know, you you just have to start, you have to do something and just take action in that general direction. Now, if it's even further and you're thinking about the finish line, or you're thinking about all of the previous miles that you've logged right to that day, and you just got to keep going like that's even better because that's more specific. But if somebody is, doesn't necessarily have a race on the horizon, right. Or something specific that they're training for just starting to do anything can help cuz action, you know, action creates motivation not the other way around. So if you're waiting for the motivation to just present itself, it's probably not going to happen, you know.
1: I totally to... agree. I mean, I like I write a lot for my website yeah. and I get writer's block and when it happens, yeah. I'm I just like Force myself to just get it going. And it's, you know, just like, just start riding. And then eventually you'll break through that block and things will start flowing again. And the same, I think, is true for running. Like when I have athletes who don't want to run, I'm like, just put your shoes on and go outside and go for a walk. Just say you're going to go for a walk. Yeah. And there's a very good chance that that walk is going to turn into a run. And you just have to get the ball rolling.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, you just have to start moving because I agree with you. Sometimes it's just, Like after you get your shoes on and you get your clothes on and you're out the door, then it's like, well, all right, well, I'm here. (laughs) Like, but yeah, something very basic. And then I think giving yourself the permission to consider that a success is important too. You know what I mean? So that you're not like, man, you still did a 30 minute walk, even though you really didn't feel like doing anything. And then you're beating yourself up after the fact. It's like, no, that's a win because you got out there and did something
1: oh that's such a good point because i know a lot of people because we do tend to be you know very perfectionist with the schedule or or don't view that as a win and so like having different like an abc goal even just for the the, those daily workouts Um, so we think about it a lot for races but just even like yeah, okay, I didn't do what was scheduled that day, but I did go out and I did move my body for 30 minutes and I really didn't want to. And so maybe it wasn't the big physical boost, but it was definitely like a huge mental strengthening day for me.
0: Yeah, and I think I've talked about this a lot with clients in kind of establishing these movement minimums where if you are in a rut, you know, or you find yourself not maybe as excited about training or having difficulty, you know, executing kind of come up with, way, what are my daily movement minimums, right? Like, and you're thinking bare minimum, what worst case scenario can I accomplish? And you set the groundwork for that. And then you have to give yourself permission. Okay. That's my movement minimum as, as long as I can accomplish that each day, then it's a success and then maybe, you know, you've got your regular training program, but you got your movement minimums too, to keep you sane. And I think that helps a lot too, because you can get a sense of accomplishment, even if you didn't do everything that you set out to do.
1: That's an awesome tip, especially like around the holiday season when people are going to be really busy. And then as we look forward to the new year and lots of people are going to be setting goals, I think, yeah, just being really realistic, breaking the goals down, looking at the obstacles and yeah, having like... like you said, the minimum and really being happy with that and okay with that and learning that like those are the building blocks for something bigger and better down the line.
0: Yeah. And it's, uh, we all have them in some form or fashion, but I, from my experience, just in uh, utilizing this tool with clients, it's really important to have that self-awareness piece, right? Because if you don't, you might, your chances are, you're going to be like, that's way too easy. And then you create, it's not a movement minimum at all. It's like, it's something that's pretty substantial. And then it misses the whole intent of the exercise itself, you know? So yeah, it could be really effective and just be self-aware of the limitations.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of us, Like a part, a big obstacle is like we build things up so big and we just make it so daunting or we just don't have the information. Like a lot of runners, they want to make strength training a habit, but they don't know where to start. And so just, you know, getting to the basics and just, okay, well, I'm going to do two different exercises for my legs, you know, some planks and two exercises for my upper body and like getting started that way. And just that's like a good like gateway into the world of strength training sort of you know just keeping it super simple what are there some other tools in yeah. your toolbox um, we haven't talked about
0: so bright spots is another one this is kind of in the same vein as like establishing movement minimums but we'll keep it in the running kind of the running environment but if you are maybe you're training for a race maybe you're you've got some kind of nagging injury maybe you're trying to Institute strength training into, you know, your program kind of looking at your bright spots, maybe on a weekly or a monthly basis and just picking out, Hey, what went really well that's specifically related to something that's difficult. Right. And then how can I do more of that? And that might, that bright spot might be like, maybe you, I finally spent, you know, three days doing like five minutes of mobility work or something like that okay, great. How did you make that happen? What was even beneficial at all? And then how can you do more of it? And you can also look at somebody else that is doing some of these things and try and emulate them, you know, and use that as a bright spot, or maybe a time in the past when you were training for something and things were going really well, like that tired thing, look at that as a bright spot and then try and dissect it to figure out what exactly was making it work. And again, how can you do more of it? And it sounds kind of silly or maybe like wave tops, but when, if you know what I mean, when, but when somebody specific, like when you specifically annotate these things, you know, over and over and over again, over a period of a few weeks, like you're going to see trends. And I think we are naturally kind of negative. Sometimes in our narratives. Because as you're saying bright
1: spots, I'm like thinking about my bright spots and I'm like, but yeah, but I find a lot of dark spots hidden on those those bright spots.
0: Oh, that's such a great point. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for sharing. Because I think that's important. Like it's important for people to hear that because we all do that. We all, and the danger of that is then we miss those bright spots, right? We don't, we forget about them. And so if we start logging them and we actually look at them and, you know, take 10 minutes to do it. You see those trends and they're stacking up and they're kind of like undeniable, you know, because you've written them down. You've really thought about them. And, uh, you know, and I think it can also help just give better perspective to some of the dark spots that we're all trying to kind of put out of our head or take in context, really.
1: Oh, my gosh. So I am going to start a journal with that when we're done here. That's such a good point. Oh, yeah. like in my Strava, I leave little notes and they're always negative though. You know, it's like <laughs> I keep most of the notes private to myself, but like, I yeah. like, it's so hard to give yourself kudos. Cause like, you know, you go off for a run and there's always, it's like almost always something could have done, been done better or felt better or whatever. And so I just think that probably does something, I, this is probably, I don't know, like helps with the neuroplasticity of your brain to really start like, you know, implementing that into your thinking that like, Hey, I am doing things right. And I really should be like giving myself a slap on a pat on the back of like, Hey, good job. You did whatever small or big thing.
0: I think that's an awesome idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was I, yours, I really so
1: good job. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, take it, no pun intended, but take it and run with it. You yeah. Know? So, yeah, no, I think that's, yeah, that's spot on. And they, we've heard about self-fulfilling prophecies, right? Like where you, you kind of create your own. And in a lot of ways we do, we create our own future, our own destiny and what we tell ourselves on a daily basis. And it can be positive or it can hold us back.
1: Yeah, that's something that I realized uh, now as I'm getting close to my race that I need to, like, the next three weeks, I'm just really focusing on my mental game because I realized that that's, like, unfortunately the track that I'm heading on and I'm trying to to change directions. Okay, so bright spots and um, making sure you write those down. Anything else that we didn't talk about?
0: I think, you know, just generally speaking, if you're trying to change something lifestyle nutrition fitness if you're trying to get started running pursuing a race break things down as small as possible and think about what you can do on your worst day because that's kind of insulating you right from having off days or from having days where you just, where you're like, I can't do that. I'm not gonna do anything. Right. So I can't reiterate this enough. Just so if, like pick, pick small habits, pick things that are doable that you know that you can do. There's nothing wrong with that because if you pick, if you accumulate 50 of those over a year, all small habits that you know that you can do, but you're not doing them right now, that's a huge net positive, right? Instead of picking things that are really challenging, Maybe they pay off more right in the short term but over a year like how many of those really challenging endeavors are you going to flawlessly you know crush is the you kind of you're comparing the net positive of or the net growth really in each situation over a year it's like you know i think you're going to be in a better position by picking small pieces and building on them and picking really challenging things just right off the bat. Oh, you can get to yes. challenging things, you know, that'll happen. Yeah. You do enough easy things, right? And each time it gets a little bit more complex. So the difficulty will be there, but you'll be better set up for success to like, to execute and to do it.
1: I love, yeah. Had
0: so many reps.
1: That's such a great point to like, Cause I think that that also negates excuses. Like if you have your, like your bare minimum, what can I do on my worst day? That just, then you don't, cause you're right. Like so many people think, well, I can't go out and do my four mile run. So what's the use? I'm not going to do anything. But like, if your goal is just go outside for 10 minutes, like that then like that keeps the momentum going that still makes you feel accomplished and that's still working towards your ultimate goal. So that's great advice. I've learned so much from you. This has been really eye-opening.
0: Oh yeah, dude, this has been a great conversation. So thank- thanks for the back and forth.
1: Yeah, thank you. And uh, yeah, I'm so glad we finally got to chat because I had to, due to illness in our house, I had to keep rescheduling. Yeah. So thanks for being so flexible.
0: No, my pleasure. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. This was great.
1: Thank you. You bet. Thank you, Ben, and thanks to you all for listening to The Passionate Runner. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any of the resources I mentioned are available at runnerclick.com slash podcast. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash thepassionaterunner. We'll read them out on future episodes. Talk to you next time.